Welcome to the Cobra Cast with the present VP. For this episode, we would like to thank these valued partners. Is your scratched window ruining your view? Starting from scratch to your experts at removing scratches from windows and any glass surface. Whether it's general scratches around the home or a knife graffiti tag shop front, they can remove it. They're also helping the environment by saving the window from being dumped into landfill while bringing the glass back to its former glory without the scratches. Don't replace your scratched window. Repair it with Starting From Scratched, your glass and scratch removal specialist for home, shop fronts and cars. Call today for a quote, 87595629 or find out more at startingfromscratch.com.au. All right, welcome back for another episode of the Cobblecast with the President VP. I'm the host, Ricky Rifty, the Prez Logan. Got my co-host, Ricky, at Dog VP Etridge. Uh, welcome to the show. Welcome back, at Dog. What's going on, mate? Uh, not a lot, mate. Just enjoying a Saturday night. We're doing these intros on a Saturday night in isolation. Fair and square being kicked in the balls today, though. This morning, doing a recording episode. You're kicked in the balls. Yeah, yeah. Well, this morning we've done a recording with uh, a couple of blokes, uh, with a bloke from uh, Houston, uh, Austin, Texas. And he was talking about how he was able to go out and have a beer with his mates tonight on his Friday night. And here I am, not allowed to go past my front, my front door, my, my front driveway, and getting drunk on Zoom with the fellas. Yeah. Well, you know, at least we can interact drunk. with the boys in some, some form. Um, and mate, I'm sure Joshy's gonna smash down five packs of noodles as well while he's uh yeah. and uh, I'm actually currently just waiting for a bottle of Uzon Uzon Plaza to drop some bing tanks for me. Yeah, nice because we are headed over to Jakarta. Yep, to chat we to the bing tanks. With, uh, the bing tanks. Um, we got Kalen, Ben, and, and Matt. Matt. I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, I, I think it's the captain, coach, and president. president. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, these, we're, we're hitting a point now in the next probably eight episodes where they will record in the space for about four days. Like, or no, like a week, and I'm pretty sure we record all these. So I don't even remember these episodes, which is why if you don't catch the video version, I like to go back and listen to the audio version. Podbean, Spotify, and iTunes. Exactly, and if you feel inclined to do so, drop us a, a review, you know, give us a little feedback, positive, obviously, because, you know, we're doing a great job, so. And I, yeah, will yeah. Hunt you de- I will hunt you down and kick your cat if you give us negative reviews. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, mate, let's get into it. We'll before, sh- before, before we do get into it, mate, I just want to give, uh, during this conversation, towards the end, they mentioned the, um, uh, the crack... The Cracker Tales Footy Club down in down in Melbourne. It's a it's a very short uh, mention about them, and I've done a bit of digging once we got off. I'm pretty sure it got mentioned in the Barley Geckos episode. And uh, the people down there are doing a great thing. It's a footy club that's pretty much based for the Indome- Indonesian community within Melbourne, and they do you know, they do a great thing growing the game within the Indonesian community in Victoria. And they're actually doing a once every every night. I've been seeing on their Facebook they've been doing like a you know, a preview of the footy that's going on and it's you know, good on them for growing the game, you know, outside of their country, but still growing it within their community. And I've been meaning to get on the phone with um, uh, the bloke from there and chat about footy. But unfortunately, when I reached out to them, they had just stopped training. So we're going to get them down to the club. And since then, obviously, we can't even leave our, leave our houses. So uh, 
yeah, we do plan on getting them down to the footy club when we get back open up and you know, invite them down as guests of honour for the day you know, as they're doing a great thing for growing footy outside of Australian communities. Yeah, very nice. Look forward to it. But until then, enjoy this chat with the boys from the Jakarta Bing Tangs and we'll uh, catch you on the next one. All right, today we are joined by Kalen, the captain of the Jakarta Bing Tangs. Uh, we've got Matt, who's the VP and coach, and we've got Ben, who's the most important role of all, the president of the club. Uh, welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks, fellas. Uh, thanks for joining us. We're keen to learn about the Bintangs. It's uh, one of the better names we've come across uh, in our travels. Um, and I've, I know a few of the boys were telling us we've got to go get some Bintangs to, to share with you guys while we record this. But uh, being that I don't drink and Ed Dog doesn't really enjoy the taste of them, we decided not to. Uh, <laughs> I don't mind them. It's just like I've got recording this for about four days off July. So I've got four days to drink about. 20 beers before I do dry July, mate. So I don't need to go buy any more. That's fair cool. I dare say that uh, there's a fair few guys back home that would have uh, enjoyed a few Bintangs and their trips up to Bali at some stage. Uh, yeah, definitely. There's, there's been a few that have joined, enjoyed uh, one far too many. Um, from from a, um, the one and only time they did a footy trip to Bali, and I can't get into too much about it because... Um, yeah, it's still under investigation. As <laughs> That's another podcast, right? <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks thanks for joining us. Um, we've sort of just got some questions for you. Just sort of decide who, who wants to answer what uh, for each one. Um, but sort of for each of you, at a, you know, we'll start with Kalen and then work our way around. How did you guys get involved in footy over in Jakarta? So I actually moved here in 2016 for work. I founded a company in Jakarta uh, with an Indonesian friend. And so for 2016, I was quite busy starting up the company. They didn't actually hear about the Bintangs until 2017, a year later, when I met another Australian who was already playing uh, with the Bintangs. He told me about it. I got down to training and I was actually pretty disappointed. That I, it took me a year to find out about it because yeah, since I've been there, it's been a really great experience. Uh, so yeah, just by word of mouth from another Australian who was living in Jakarta, that's how I got involved. Um, and eventually got on to become captain. Yeah, we were pretty disappointed when Callan took a year to get down to us as well. We were wondering um, why it took it so long. And we've got a web presence and I couldn't understand it either. No, now, for myself, um, I've, I've been in uh, Indonesia since 2006. Um, and uh, I first got involved. Again, came over Indonesia for some work. Um, just wanted to have a bit of a sea change and um, see a little bit more of the world and um, before I got over here actually uh, I had a, a friend of mine who I was playing footy with back home who had been involved with the Jakarta Bintangs and um, he gave me the heads up that uh, there was a footy club here and that was the, the defining moment basically I was sort of up in the air about whether I wanted to come overseas and, and work uh, and um, you know I was just, just my early mid-30s at the time and I still wanted to play some footy and uh, when the opportunity arose that, uh, that the Jakarta Bintangs was involved in footy in Asia, I thought, wow, what an opportunity to come over and work and but also be able to, you know, um, continue one of my passions, which is obviously playing footy. Very nice. Uh, how about you, Ben? 
And probably for me, um, this is actually my third time living here. I came in the I came here in the my early nine in the early nineties. Despite my youthful looks, I'm the eldest of the, th the three of us. Um, so I came over in '93 for about six years, uh, and there wasn't a footy team then. So I was I was involved in the, the sort of the formation of the club. Uh, we wanted to have a kick, and basically wanted to have something to do. I was pretty young then, so I was still playing footy. Um, I came back again ten years later, and um, much to my delight, the, the club was uh, been flourishing, and um, it was a it's a it's a wonderful outlet and a social outlet to go to. So that was about ten or twelve years ago, and then I returned again probably about 18 months ago. Um, and uh, delightfully, the club's still here. It's been through, uh, it's been through ups and downs. Uh, I think, you know, we'll probably talk a bit about it later, but I think back in the 90s, there were a lot more Australians. So um, it sort of goes with, the, goes with the flow a little bit as, as you know, your, the audience and your, the poor players sort of, as that diminishes, you sort of go for, um, you, there are other players to get either from other, other countries or, your own local local group as well. Uh, so it's been uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a, a journey and a, and a absolute pleasure. Yeah, nice. So when were they actually the Bintangs actually founded, and who who was a part of founding the original there was, uh, team? Yeah, there was probably about a group of about ten of us. One of the guys is uh, the most famous name of all is by the name of Bruce Morgan, and um, he was our first president. He he was actually living in Singapore at the time. Uh, so one of the leading clubs in the 90s was the Singapore Wombats and um, they, uh, he was living there at the time and he moved to Jakarta and that's when we sort of all got together. We were wanting to, we were all pretty much wanting to have a kick of footy and that's really what it came down to. Um, Indonesia or Jakarta is pretty close to, to Australia but in so many ways it's a, it's a long way away. Um, we weren't really at the time planning to set the world on fire. We just wanted to have a kick. And from there, a footy club grew uh, and we enjoyed watching the footy and doing all those things. And um, it just grew from there. So that would have been 1995. First game was in 95 against Singapore when they came and toured. Um, and then slowly from there, we were, we were probably doing more and more. Uh, Jakarta actually was a fun place to, to tour. So, <laughs> We didn't have to travel too much. There were the many teams in the different cities were very happy to come and tour to Jakarta. Um, and then you know, slowly as we grew as a club and had more money, uh, you know, we were then able to sort of take trips as a club ourselves. It was, if I could just one final thing, it was a really interesting time. I, I think if you, looking at it now, it's a lot harder to probably form a club, uh, a footy team, in today's environment, um, all these teams probably formed around the same time in the sort of that early to mid nineties. And there are teams in every, pretty much every country in Asia. And I think it was due to, at that time, there was just such a large number of young Australians um, heading overseas to, as engineers, accountants and the like. Uh, I think these days, you've, you know, as these economies are growing and uh, there's probably less need and, and demand for, young Australian uh, workers, um, you probably have that population, that critical mass isn't there as much. So yeah, it was a, it was a really strange time that there was a large population and it just made it much, much easier to form a club and, and, and that sort of community. Yeah, from a lot of the clubs I've spoken to, they've all sort of started around the same time and because of that reason, there was so many more Australians across there. So we mentioned before that 
we love coming across teams that have got unique names and more so unique jumpers. And the Bintang's obviously fairly uh, synonymous with Indonesia because I'm going to guess that's how they got the name was from the beer. But how did you guys choose the uh, the colours and design of the jumper that you've got? Actually, the, the name, I, I remember the night we were, we were sitting around, there was about eight of us sitting around trying to think of a name. And um, we were actually drinking Bintang beer and, and we thought, let's call ourselves the Stars, uh, which Bintang, of course, means star. Then we thought going into our first game, we'll call ourselves the All-Stars. So our first game, we were called the Jakarta All-Stars and we got, I think we got thumped by about 25 goals in the wet. So uh, pretty soon that name, the All-Stars, was... Um, put to one side. I think from there, then it went to Bintangs and then with all Bintangs and we just saw Bintangs. Uh, the colour, um, I hate to say it, it's also the same colour as Bintang beer, um, but Bintang is probably reflective of the colours of, uh, of the Indonesian national colours as well, which are well, red and white predominantly and then there's the black as well. Yeah, nice. You could have kept the yeah, Jakarta All-Stars because there was no other team in Jakarta, so there's no one going to be able to beat you for that right. spot the title. But um, so you right. mentioned that the club's first game was played on the Jakarta Bing, uh, Jakarta All Stars, and you copped a, a thumping. Who was that against, and how many players did you have for that game? That was uh, against Singapore. They were touring. Um, yeah, it was a full team. We would have had probably 25 each. Um, they came down, and uh, they'd been playing as a club for. They'd been around probably a couple of years by that stage. And uh, we'd just formed a team and got everyone together. And yeah, we were, we were given a, a good old fashioned whipping. Um, so that was 95. And then I don't think we, we probably played again the following year. That was our next game. There might've been a few sort of Navy, a few of the Australian Navy vessels were coming in. So we'd play them. But the next big game was against Singapore the following year. It was a wee bit closer. Um, so then gradually over a few years, we got closer and closer to them. But yeah, the first year was a uh, quite a learning experience. Yeah, very nice. Well, have you guys uh, managed to get a women's team up and going yet? Yeah, so the women's team is a new initiative of ours started in the last few years. At one stage, we did have quite a few numbers, getting to around eight or 10 women coming to training with us, which was great. Uh, but unfortunately, with the current climate, we've had quite a few women leave who were training with us regularly and coming to our social events as well. So we're dwindling, dwindling in numbers a little bit right now. But over the next few years, we just still wanted to make it a focus of ours. Um, and so that's especially on the expat women side. Um, most of the women who were joining our team were expats. We had a couple of Indonesians. But it looks like now with more expats out of Jakarta who have left because of this current situation, we might have to start looking for uh, Indonesian women to start with us as well. Just further on that too, uh, I might just add with what Karen said there, uh, was one of the big initiatives that the Jakarta Bintang started up in, uh, in about 2005, 2006 was uh, a junior development program. And we've been very big on this junior development program um, to the point where we've actually engaged um, the Australian government to support us with um, uh, funding to be able to support um, uh, an expat to be able to come up and, and uh, work for the Jakarta Bintangs um, and fund those uh, junior development program where we um, go out to the schools here in Indonesia um, and teach them uh, 
healthy life skills, um, fitness and training um, through the, the mode of Australian rules football. Um, we've we've uh, been out to well over 100 schools in, in the last uh, 10 to 15 years, um, and regularly running tournaments with, uh, with uh, thousands of kids, uh, both male and female. Um, and the, the feedback and, that we've received on that has been enormous. Honestly, the, uh, these kids uh, up here take to the game like it's uh, their second nature. I mean, they love it. Um, and they just love being active and running around with the, uh, the oblong ball. So um, along with that, we've had, you know, probably 60% of those have been um, boys uh, and 40% of girls. So the girls have loved it just as much as the boys. Um, and we regularly have uh, Indonesians come out and train with us on a regular basis. And our, uh, our talent pool for our club is actually majority of um, is uh, local Indonesians. And in fact, um, to go as far as in our top 10 players in our club, um, I would say seven or eight of them are actually local Indonesians. So our, our junior development program has been second to none throughout Asia. In fact, the rest of the Asian teams, and you know, it's not big noting ourselves, uh, all look upon the Indonesian and Jakarta Bintang's um, uh, junior development program as, as the, the leader of uh, all the junior development programs throughout Asia. Uh, that's awesome. And I think speaking with one of the other Asian clubs might have been Bali Geckos or something like that. I think it has come up that they you know, we're sort of taking a, a page out of your book and hoping to get uh, the sort of ju junior development going as well as you guys have. Um, it's fantastic that a lot of the Asian clubs are doing, you know, not only work to develop the game of juniors, but helping out in communities. And it's something um, through, through doing all these, we're learning a lot that, the, the, you know, not only you're playing footy over there, but you're doing great work with communities. And to, to be able to introduce, you know, 100 hundred odd schools worth of kids to, to Aussie rules is fantastic and hopefully the the Aussie government and, and the AFL itself gets right, right behind you and who knows you'll have uh, a few junior bintangs running around in the AFL one day. That, that would be yeah, great, absolutely. really it would. That'd be awesome. I mean we've had the, uh, the team uh, tour to the, uh, the International Cup a couple of times. We've had Indonesian teams travel to that and um, been quite successful. Um, that's a massive venture on our behalf, um, massive amounts of funds are needed to be able to support a team of 25 to 30 guys going down to Australia for two weeks. Um, uh, but um, yeah, look, it's been really wor worth it. And the, the Indonesian kids, uh, a lot of the Indonesian kids actually that uh, we've sent down there um, are closely linked to one of the orphanages that we, uh, we are closely linked with um, here in Indonesia, the Mamasayang uh, Orphanage. and. Uh, these kids uh, come from no home backgrounds and uh, to be able to link up and then get the opportunity to firstly get a passport and then get on a plane and travel to Australia to play football has been, you know, some, uh, something that they dream about. You know, they'd never even imagined they'd be able to do that sort of thing in their life. So for us, it's about giving back. You know, this country gives us so much and, you know, um, it's about us also being able to, you know, forthwith and give back as well. And Maddie, if I could add... Uh you know, the great work that you guys started 15 years ago. Uh, there are some of those players that are still playing with us today. You know, they were probably in their very early teens at the time and now they're still in their late 20s. And, you know, it's, I think, for something that it's the right thing to do um, has turned into actually what we've received as, as part of it being a, a great thing to give back for a country that gives us so much. 
uh, it's provided us a, with a really good playing group as well, which I'm not sure in 2005 if that's what you guys were envisaging at the time. Um, but it's that's how it's turned out now with the, the you know sort of the current environment. Yeah, so I'm just going to point out why Rift has just gone quiet. So I've just been on your Facebook page, just looking around. And uh, now Rift is a big fan of mullets. I'll give him that. <laughs> I literally just pointed him to uh, to one hell of a mullet on your Facebook page. Rifty, what do you reckon, mate? <laughs> yeah, I haven't quite got there yet. Oh, just a sec. So, yeah, I've literally, I was trying to find something else. I've come across it. I'm like, it looks like, no, nah, it can't be. No, nah, it is. All right. It's same. It's same bloke, just... He's missing a lot of hair. <laughs> yep. You got it, yeah, Rift. I made it. Are you talking about? Are you talking about Benny or Caleb? <laughs> <laughs> Must have been Benny a fair few years ago. If he's uh, found Benny uh, with a mullet. Why, why, why Rift is fine on it? Why'd you cut it off for Caleb, mate? That was an absolute ripper of a mullet. So that one was just on a tour to to Bali. I'd obviously grown my hair pretty long, and I just decided the game against Bali that we did a tour a couple of years. I go, therefore, was the time to uh, cut a mullet. I'd never, I'd never sported a mullet before. I'd had friends who had sported mullets and I've been a bit jealous. So I cut it just for the, for the game on game day. And uh, there was no better feeling than having the wind flowing through my, <laughs> through, my, through my mullet while I was running down the wing with the footy and slotting a couple of goals. So it was a great experience to have it. I kept it for about two weeks. Played another game the next week against Singapore, I think, with it. And then, uh, and then cut it off after that, after about two weeks. There was definitely... Plenty of party in the back going on there, that's for sure. <laughs> that's I think right. you're throwing it back, aren't you, Kevin? I am. I'm trying to take this opportunity actually now that it's uh, the pandemic and there's not many hairdressers open here. I think they're starting to open back now, but uh, I'll still keep that excuse to grow it out again. So I might grow it for a few months and cut the mullet again for a few weeks just to see how it goes. For anybody that wants to go see, go to the Jakarta Bing Tang's Australian Rules Football Club Facebook page. And just scroll, either go to your photos or just scroll down it. a little bit. And it's... I'll, I'll, I'll get the photo, I'll edit it in once, once this okay. goes up. Don't worry, it'll be up there. <laughs> awesome. Um, anyway. Come on, mate. Get back on the nah, you, ship. We're still, still on you, mate. No, no. Move ahead. All right. So, uh, whereabouts do you guys train and play? So, we do training usually. We have a couple of locations. So, the Australian school here is... Uh, quite good to us and we're partners with them. They let us use their, their ground. It's only a small soccer field that they have at the Australian school. So we rent that from them. Um, we do Saturday trainings there. So usually what we do is we'll do a, a junior training often before we do our main training session. So we'll invite a high school or a few high schools along. It can be actually juniors or high school. So it can be anywhere, anywhere from eight to 10 year olds. Sometimes we get some teenagers in as well, depending on who's available. So we'll do a training session with them from usually 1 to 2 p.m. And then after that, we'll go on to our main session. So usually we'll do a training session, uh, which is just the whole group together, including expats and some older Indonesians. Do a training session there, just some some skills and some drills. Um, or alternatively, we, we just started a new competition within the last few years, which is actually called the Lofty Cup. And we actually split into three teams for that, mix of expats and Indonesians. And it's a round robin style. So it's either we'll do a full training session just with drills like a normal footy training session or we'll do this uh, round robin competition where we actually have altered rules. So we have to use the soccer nets. We actually kick the footy into the soccer net is the, is the goal. So we don't have the sticks um, on a smaller pitch, which is a 
which is great fun. It really bonds us with the Indonesians because we're mixing with them on the teams as well. And at mm. the end of every season, we sort of have a winner as well where we give out some medals uh, for the winners and we'll have a vote count as well. So that's the Saturday yeah. sessions. But outside of that, we also have Thursday training sessions. So these are ones which have been going on for a bit longer and we have them at the main sporting uh, arena in, in Jakarta where they have a few different arenas there. They have a, a big soccer pitch they have an aquatic center they have a lot of things but we actually train there on the hockey pitch so they have two hockey pitches and that's actually a bit bigger than the australian school so we've got more room to do drills there so we'll do that on a thursday night and those sessions are really good it's just a senior training session with expats and indonesians mixed as well but we'll usually do a two-hour training session there under lights they've got the big floodlights and then afterwards at 8 p.m we'll go to the pub afterwards to one of our sponsor pubs and have a few beers and do some bonding there as well yeah, it sounds like a it sounds like a lot going on across there. Um, so you mentioned about how you run your little uh, your round robin competition and uh, all that type of stuff and your training. So you guys have played in the Asian Championships before. Um, what other competitions do you guys play in and how successful have you been um, at them competitions? Yeah, so basically for games, uh, talking about competitions, we have our own little mini competition, the Lofty Cup, which is just in, internal in Jakarta, but... We also do international games. Either we will fly to another country to play against them, uh, Singapore, Cambodia, even just to Bali, for example, um, or they'll come to us. So we usually try to set up a few tours like that throughout the year. Uh, but then, like you just mentioned, we also have the Asian Champs. So the Asian Champs is the biggest competition for us, and it's a chance to actually get our strongest team together and actually go and compete against all the other countries within Asia. And within the last two years, just in starting again in 2018, we've actually combined with Bali. So previous to 2018, we would just go um, alone as Jakarta. And I think for the last 10, 10 or years, so years before that, Bali and Jakarta have sort of uh, struggled, not been dominant. We haven't been playing in Division 1. Usually there's Division 1 and 2. And recently we've had a Division 3 as well. But last, but in 2018, we were actually able to join Jakarta with Bali. It was the Indonesian Volcanoes. And we actually took out the championship in 2018 for Division 1. So it was great to really, for the bonding of the two clubs again, to get close with, with Bali. And now we're doing that from now on. But I think Benny could explain a little bit better about the early days. Jakarta did win a few Asian championships in our early days as well, I think, around around 2000. I'm not sure of the exact year we won that as well. Sadly, actually, I, they, they won the, the year after I left, which um, probably says a lot about my contribution to the club as a player. But they, uh, they, they, they did win in the first one, which I think was 2000, MJ, if I'm... Uh, yep not mistaken yep. was that and, and I think that may have been held in Jakarta as well so we won it was. two in those early days in 2000 and 2002 and there were probably I'd say at that time there were there were eight teams maybe 10 teams competing all all pretty even and and I think mm. now how many are there are there 28 32 teams or something it's it's quite a high number in those three divisions so it's um yeah in terms of uh, of, of how it has grown uh, across Asia has been fantastic but it, you certainly notice the difference between the early days and now I mean the early days it was very much a bunch of expat guys playing from from eight teams or however six to eight teams you know Thailand Singapore Hong Kong um, Indonesia uh, or Jakarta and Bali at the time so um, and now you know you get a lot of local players that will be coming in for, for some of the teams like for China Japan will have their own I'll have two teams, uh, a local team, and um, it's a really, it's a, it's a great thing to see. And also, the the Asian champs is uh, 
committee has uh, stipulated that um, there needs to be a local content too in each of the teams. So it's actually promoting that uh, junior development stuff we were talking about earlier, where um, you know teams are required to have uh, a local-based uh, player on the field at any one time um, and uh, one on the bench or something as well. So they have to have a minimum amount of players on their squad um, to help to push that, you know, that promotion of uh, the local content. Yeah, very nice. Um, it's it's good that the, uh, a lot more of the Asian countries have been able to get the locals to embrace the game. Uh, about five years ago, we actually had the Japan team um, come over and play against us. And it was good to see, you know, there was a couple of guys that were, you know, sort of Aussie-born Japanese, um, but the majority of the side were Japanese guys that, that were over, you know, touring and, and we got the honor to play against them and it was um, yeah it was great to see so many of these you know Japanese kids uh, actually playing Aussie rules and, and doing quite well at it and they're, they're a bloody fast team that's for sure oh you gotta yeah. I gotta tell you some of the guys throughout Asia that are the local content guys are superstars some of them are amazing and how they pick up the game so quickly um, we've got a couple of guys in our team who um, literally come from never touching the footy two or three years ago to just being so dominant on the park to the point where they become um, part of the All-Asian team in the Asian champs. So that good that they... Uh, we have one particular guy, uh, Vincent, from our team, who he was his first or his second Asian champs. He became All-Asian. He'd only been playing the game for a year and a half or something like that. So it shows you how, I mean, not that the game's easy, but they just pick it up. They love the game. You know, they, they're, they're willing to invest themselves in it and, um, and pick up the skills. So it's fantastic to see it spread like that. Yeah, it's awesome. I think it probably helps that they don't have bad habits that you've got to you know, teach out of them. You can teach them the sort of the right techniques from the start and they, they've got you know, good habits to form straight away. Right. Yeah, it's not, not always that easy to try and help them make them kick properly, though. Some of them are a good kick, others not so good. They're very fast, though. They can get the ball. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It's maybe not quite what Ed Dog wants delivering up forward to him, but, uh, you know, hopefully. <laughs> it's been a nice lots, few episodes. Lots, lots of ground ball gates. Yeah. It's yeah. been a nice few episodes without you having a cheap shot at me, mate. Now you're back to it. <laughs> you see me last night trying to get a little bit shitty with the delivery I was getting, and now all of a sudden you're back to giving me cheap shots. Yeah, well, you know. We're back, we've we've been back training for a couple of weeks and and we've you know we've spent the last few weeks before that doing all these interviews learning about you know or and one of the questions we asked who takes it too serious and I I said he does and he's like mate I don't take it that serious first night back at training he was already blasting somebody for not kicking it to him properly so <laughs> yeah but I I haven't been on the training track for over twelve months mate so you can't blame me for wanting the ball delivered to me perfectly. That's fair. Um, Are you guys playing? Is your season starting up, or is it is it just been cancelled for the year? Oh well, as we speak, we've uh, I've just received an email today that if everything goes well, our season will go ahead on the twenty fifth of July. Right. Um, so hopefully, by the time this is is going online, where we've played a couple games, uh, fingers fingers awesome. all fingers crossed at the moment. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of other local leagues around us that uh, have already pulled the pin. So um, yeah, fingers crossed that we we still get to go ahead. Good. So you're deep into uh, preseason training again now, then, yeah? I see as you drink your beer there, Ricky. 
Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, no, I didn't get to play at all last year. I was injured all, all season last season. So I've, I'm itching it a bit to get out there this year. So hopefully we do get a season. And we've made the joke a few times. All we need is a three-game season. Three-game gives me my 150, which gives me life membership. And three-game gives, gives Rifty 200. So oh, nice. we don't really care how long the season goes for as long as we get three games. Yeah, right. So. Good on you. Um, and him drinking his beer, mate. I've been copping abuse every training night because we can't Look, run a bar yet. So. Not from me, though. I'd like to just clear that up. Not from me. Um, but the one thing we love to find out about is the social side of the clubs. Um, what do you guys do for, for the social side? You mentioned having a drink together after training on a Thursday, but what other social functions and things like that do you guys do? Probably historically for the club, the uh, like well, probably like a lot of clubs in Australia and in Asia, but especially in Asia, the big money earner for us traditionally was the grand final function and that would be a, a big event. And I think in in the heyday, we used to, I think arguably it was a, the largest grand final event outside Australia. You know, we're getting you know, around the 700 mark for, this is for a number of years until, probably until the sort of the numbers, you know, the, the economy might've dipped a bit and the, and the numbers went a bit. So that's dropped a little bit, but that was a, that was really a big event. That's only once a year during the season, you know, we'll like most clubs will have sponsors that will be bars and the, and the like that we'll be supporting. So, um, unlike, unlike you guys, we don't, we don't have a, a full season when we're playing every week. So it's in, in important. The social side of it is just to, to build the club when we're, you know, when we're either training, or we can gather together to either, you know, we can just watch the footy together and, and do things like that. So the social side, um, you know, for it, it is important. Um, for me, I mean, one of the reasons why, you know, we did want to join, start this club, wasn't just about kicking the footy. It, it was very much a, the social side. Um, and I think when we live here, social can be confused with bars and, and you know, it's not just that. Um, you know, we've got a, a very big community now of you know, how big would the family be? You know, the Bintangs family is probably four or 500 people that have probably played for the Bintangs over these 25 years. Um, and, you know, they're living all over the world and they still hold the club quite close to their heart. It's not the easiest city to live in. And I think that element of sort of building that community um, has been, you know, one of the cornerstones of the club. You know, you kick the footy, you have fun. You build a footy team, but you also the social side and um, just being there for each other is a, is an important part of it as well. Yeah, we like to think of ourselves as a family down at Sandown, so it's always good to hear when, as you said, you've got a family of four to 500 now in the community because blokes that have played just even one game for the club hold the values of the Bing Tangs fairly close to their hearts, so it's nice to hear that. Um, you mentioned about your sponsors. Do you guys find it quite hard to find sponsors or is there a certain few that always sort of help you guys out? Yeah, definitely. Um, probably MJ's seen a few eras as well. Um, like me, I think it was a, you know, when during the certain economic climates, you know, when there were more Australian businesses, it was, it was probably a little easier to knock on that door, especially when some of those guys were playing for some of these companies. It was, it was probably easier to get a little bit of that, that money. Uh, now in the current environment, yeah, it is a little harder, but it, it just it just brings about that challenge like any like any footy club. I think um, you know, we're 
we're the only AFL club here. So that in a way that makes it, you know, we're not competing against any other Aussie rules team, but you know, the challenge is for sponsors and uh, you know, you don't just want to have venues and bars, uh, but you know, invariably that's probably in this climate, the easiest one to go to, but yeah, if we can getting the corporate side is, is tougher. I think MJ, you could talk, Finally, about the days 15 years ago, you know, there were serious corporate sponsorship as well that was tied in with the community work as well. Yeah, we had some um, some good sponsors when I was first uh, in, involved in the club and um, uh, banks and and so on, and uh, it, and that was you know it was great to be able to get that uh, that you know that money to come in to help you know run trainings and uh, help promote the the game and uh, those sorts of things, but. Um, yeah, the last few years it's, it's with the, um, you know, the amount of expats in the country and also the, the economic downturn, um, it has certainly has uh, had an effect on our ability to be able to um, gain new, but uh, also retain the sponsors that we have and those responses that we have have unfortunately had to either pull away or reduce their sponsorship significantly, um, which has made us sort of tighten our purse strings a fair bit and have a look at where we are investing our money and to, Certain things, um, obviously, our junior development program has unfortunately had to be, you know, cut back somewhat. Um, our ability to be able to go and um, run regular trainings every single week has sort of been um, looked at as well. Um, and it's something that, um, unfortunately, it's just something that goes with the times. And um, once things turn around, hopefully, you know, we can get more people up here and we get more investment in the country. And um, and obviously, then. They, what comes with the riches is, you know, some more sponsorship dollars hopefully coming our way too. Yeah, well, hopefully it uh, it all picks back up. I know once uh, once travel opens back up to Indonesia, there'll be thousands of Aussies flocking over there. So hopefully the uh, the economy makes a quick turnaround once it once it all opens back up and and you're able to piggyback off some of that and get some and you know, maybe get a travel agent on board or something like that. That'd be I think a lot of the Asian clubs have managed to get travel agents on to help them with their tools and stuff. Which uh, it's funny, you know. We I'm sure the boys when they first uh, um, were putting the club together and they were thinking about a name, I'm sure they were probably hoping they'd be able to get the sponsorship of the Bintang uh, Bintang beer as well. Um, thinking, well, we drink enough of the stuff, maybe they'll sponsor us because we're investing back on them. But uh, unfortunately, over all these years and the amount of times we tried, we've never been able to get the sponsorship of the Bintang, of Bintang beer. So, um, yeah, and funnily enough, we actually had sponsorship of one of their um, competitors at one stage, Prosphere, <laughs> so, uh, which is a bit ironic. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't try and talk you into a name change when they put up the sponsorship? <laughs> we, could, we might have looked at the uh, Baby Blues type thing, or the man, Blues M&Ms or something at one stage, <laughs> the, the, the Jakarta Prosps for a day or two. I think... Um, um, I th- with the Bintangs, it was quite, I mean, we were trying to think of our logo as well. And I remember on that night when we were naming the club, we just picked up a Bintangs coaster as well and virtually just put it on our shirt. Um, and that's, I think Bintang probably, if the, you know, if we were big enough, they probably, their copyright and their legal department probably didn't quite, they didn't quite catch on to this footy team. It was usually virtually putting a coaster on their red shirts <laughs> and their footy club. Um, but yeah, it would have been, it would have been, Probably easier if they did want to hop on board, but we're trying to get actually. They said, "Well, there's another one of their competitors here that hopefully we'll uh, we'll we'll have, and that would be uh, it'd be quite it'd be quite interesting to have that name." 
I think we got the the um, the domain name too, didn't we? Uh, before Bintangs got it. <laughs> We're, so we've got their web, we got the www.bintangs.com as well before they did. Yeah, incredible. Yeah, you should try to sell it back to them or something. <laughs> yeah, it might be a good source of uh, income actually. Yeah, it might have been a good investment. But uh, how, did, how did you end up back in uh, the president's role there, Ben? Um, it was a lucky door prize about 18 months ago. I uh, <laughs> picked it out, the shortest straw. Everyone stepped backwards. We probably had in 25 years, how many, there'd probably been of eight presidents or so, I reckon. So that's, on average, that's the revolving period. Uh, the previous guy, Paul, is is still here and he's taken on the sort of a, the chairmanship role for AFL Indonesia and, you know, part of that overall development, working some, probably with the other teams around and I'm just sort of taking over as a, you know, sort of more of the, Focusing on the on the Jakarta team and 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 building that up and everything. But uh, formal wise, we uh, we 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 have an AGM every year, normally around November, and it's a uh, pretty serious, isn't it, MJ? With the uh, you're often you've, you've been involved in many of these, so we we have the full committee and the you know the the voting, and it's a it's a it's a it's a proper um, it's a proper AGM. Um, so. Uh, yeah, we're we're we actually are a formal organisation here in in Indonesia. Um, so we're compelled to have uh, a formal AGM and have the minutes taken and all that sort of thing, and in order to be able to be audited if we if needed be. So um, yeah, it's it's a we treat it as a serious part of the evening. Um, we sort of uh, it's a prelude really to our best and fairest count, um, which usually follows it. Um, but um, in it's. It's a shadow of what it uh, used to be in days gone by where actually our AGM uh, back in the early 2000s was uh, probably our premier event for the year. Um, we've had a black tie event and uh, quite, a, quite a formal do. Yeah, sorry, sorry, yeah, safari suit, which is the black tie here. Um, and it was a massive event. Um, unfortunately, it sort of uh, subsided somewhat in the, um, the uh, best and fairest count, which is the BJ. Uh, BJ Morgan, I should say, uh, is the um, uh, our best and fairest count follows the uh, AGM usually in November. Jeez, imagine that rifted the AGM being the number one event on the calendar. Uh, we're lucky to get ten people to turn <laughs> up, and that's those ten people usually get voted onto the committee. Um, but one of the things we've learned from a lot of the Asian clubs is the person usually ends up in the, the spot as a president is just a bloke that forgot to vote or. You know, what was out of the room at the time and they've just nominated him. So. Rifty, you just said Asia. I think you meant the whole world. Yeah. <laughs> True. The, the amount of people that have just sort of been, as you said, got the short straw and got in there. The lucky door prize is the best way I've heard it described so far through all the clubs I've spoken to. But um, so Matt and Ben, you guys are obviously from Australia. Were you guys ever involved on committees at footy clubs within Australia? Uh, look, no, I, I um, haven't been. Um, I, as I said, I've been over here for near on 15 years now. Um, previously, I was on coaching panels and those sorts of things, but uh, part of the committee, not so much. Uh, although, I had, obviously, being on the coaching panel, I had some sort of input in that and occasional went to a meeting, but um, like in a formal way, no, not myself. Uh, uh, it's all good. That's sort of how it's, that, that does lead to my question. So, we spoke to 
uh, the president of Houston Lone Stars a couple of weeks ago. And when we got off recording, we were speaking to him about um, how they run their footy club. And he was saying that a lot of clubs in America literally run it the way they think it should be run because they have absolutely no idea how it's run within Australia. So I was wondering, as you were answering that question about the AGM and proper event, I was thinking, have you guys taken anything that you've learned in Australia, you know, committee-wise and taken that across there so you're running it similar to how it would be run in Australia? Or is it literally just how they do it over there? We think this is how we have to run it, so this is how we run it. Uh, look, it, I think it's sort of a legacy type thing. It's, uh, you know, we, we've all been involved in the club for, you know, different eras. Like Benny was in the, in the startup. I was in, I've been in, around since the, the middle days. I'm sure you call the middle ages. Um, and uh, obviously, Caitlin's one of the new breed. Um, and so we sort of cover all the bases there. And so we kind of bring um, all different areas to the party and sort of you carry on what was done in the past without trying to change what's worked in the past too much. Um, obviously, trying to bring new ideas, trying to reinvent ourselves to you know, make it more attractive for people and obviously moving with the times as well. Being more digital is one of the things that um, obviously that you know Kalen's bringing to our to our club. Um, but um, as a whole, we try and keep the structures pretty simple without you know trying to overhaul it too much. Because once we start to complicate things too much, then it to be honest, and, and I'm sure it's not different to any other club. Too much falls upon too few. Um, so. Um, and you're looking at three of the guys who probably work the hardest in one of the, some of the hardest in our club, and we've got a few others on our community that work pretty hard as well. Um, but we don't, you know, we don't want to be putting too much on the plates of people who are already working full time um, and finding it difficult to um, fit in more than they can they can handle. Yeah, it's uh, having that balance and having a good group of people is always the key, and I think when you mentioned that you guys are actually recognized as a sporting organization, there's a lot of clubs around the world, especially in Asia that they, they won't even get recognized by their local governments as a sporting organization. So um, being that you get recognized in Indonesia would actually help you guys out a bit and having that proper structure and, um, and, you know, be able to grow your, the sport over there with, you know, within doing your junior program and stuff because you're actually recognised as a sporting organisation where a lot of other clubs are still struggling with that battle to, to even be able to get insurances and things like that and be, you know, just recognised as a, a sporting body. Yeah, you're right there, Rick. Look, um, and w one of the fortunate things of, of being an expat in Indonesia is that um, Jakarta actually has the, uh, the largest uh, embassy outside of Australia. Um, and um, so, you know, here we we obviously do pull from the the embassy for players and things when they they come about. There's there's not many in the embassy at the moment, but we have very close links to the embassy, and we have the ambassador and the deputy ambassador very involved in the um, in the Jakarta Bintangs, and and obviously they're very back behind us um, in regards to our junior development program as well. So we've had close affiliations with them, and and. Um, had our, our kids go to the uh, embassy and do, um, you know, show day, open days and those sorts of things. Even being, had um, function at the ambassador's house uh, a few times uh, with, uh, you know, our junior development program and trying to raise funds that the ambassador's opened his own house to try and raise funds for us to be able to get these um, Indonesian kids back to the, uh, 
to the International Cup um, in Melbourne and, and uh, in past years. So, yeah, the links are definitely there with those um, those companies, uh, the embassy, and that, which has been great. Oh, that's fantastic. All right, it's uh, time to learn a bit about your actual playing careers and uh, and your sort of you know your AFL team ties. So, what what positions do you or did you play when you were in, in your playing days? Go ahead, Karen. So. I used to play back in Australia, actually, funnily enough. I used to play fullback for some reason. I'm only 178 centimetres, but I was lining up on massive key forwards. Uh, but it wasn't until I moved to Indonesia that I started playing in the midfield, and I think that was where I was supposed to be playing all along because I've been enjoying playing in the midfield here a lot more. So that's where I play at the moment, in the midfield. So before everybody else goes ahead, how tall did you say you were, Cohen? 178 centimetres. How quick are you? Off the mark. Pretty quick. I can do a 100-metre sprint pretty, pretty fast. I used to do a bit of sprinting. You must, right. you must have body, a body on body, on body on body. Yeah. I'm going then. <laughs> exactly. Was so I, was, I was finding out exactly how. Because if you're playing fullback at that height, you've obviously got something that's stopping full forwards from doing their job. And yeah, to be able to run yeah. that quick. And I'm going to guess, as Rifty said, you must have a bit of a leap on you as well. He does. Yeah. He does. Not too and, bad. He's, and he's got a fair bit of uh, power in him as well for a small bloke. So yeah. Yeah. So if it's body probably, on body, I can usually hold my own. So he's one of them full backs that you sit there, you look at it and go, ah, oh, this is going to be a lovely day. And two quarters later, you're sitting there going, how the fuck does this guy do it? <laughs> yeah. No, you probably wouldn't that was one of the funnest away from you all the time. So I'm a, I'm a big, I'm a full forward. I'm right, not going to always playing around 120 kgs. Um, so I used to always, every time out of the full forward would be probably same height as you, maybe a little bit bigger. Looks fairly quick. So I'd always get sent the big, slow-looking fella. And I'm actually very, very quick off the mark. So within the first two or three leads, I've burnt them. And they're sitting there just going, you're trying to get the fullback chains onto me and they wouldn't do it. So amount of times I've had the big bloke on me that I've just absolutely burnt off the mark. It's, uh, I could imagine how many blokes would be sitting there going, oh, look at this little fella. I've got him covered. And then you're just absolutely tearing them up. Yeah, that's it. Have to get in front of them pretty quick. Keep the position off the mark and then try and spoil from there because if it's, if it's in the end they got a chance to run at it properly then I'm in trouble a bit <laughs> what about what about you Matt what, what positive uh, do you play in your yeah look um, as I mentioned I've been up here since my mid-30s and uh, when I was playing, playing back home I was playing you know some midfield um, I originally came from Adelaide so, um, and then moved up to Queensland uh, in my early 20s um, and uh, played some footy up in Port Douglas and Cairns areas. So, I was playing a bit of um, midfield there, back, back line, um, but then came up to Asia and, you know, you rediscover yourself as a, as a footballer in Asia, you know, you um, extend your career by 10, 15 years, you know, you're thinking of retiring in your early 30s in Australia and you come up here and it's like, Wow, I'm just um, I'm just a rookie again. So um, having a bit of fitness goes a long way in Asia, um, and I did have a bit of fitness in me. Uh, that was a little while ago, and so I played a fair bit of midfield up until probably about two or three years ago. And then I'm sort of um, sort of been banking, being the coach. I can sort of put myself where I like now, and uh, sort of banking myself in the forward line, and uh, being one of those small forwards, and um, snagged a few sausage rolls as well. So um, yeah. Uh, I, I don't mind playing anyway, though. I enjoy just being on the park. Yeah, very nice. What about you, Benny? What's your... Either, either flanks, back or forward flanks would have been. 
would have been my my preferred position either I'm from Adelaide as well and and then probably up here with the Bintangs when I was actually of a younger age um, but, uh, yeah. seems a long time ago that's the beauty of the uh, of our domestic comp that we can sort of play on a, on a smaller pitch it's slightly slightly faster so for these aging bodies we can sort of still get out and have a kick which um, as Maddie said it's a wonderful thing about playing footy up here um, we've got no masters footy um, we will become masters in the end and uh, it's just you probably just notice it don't you in, in Asian champs when there are you know the the, the the, the quality goes up a few notches and, and when you do you get hit you, you, you get hit by a by a, you know a proper footballer um, but generally it's it, it can be a little gentler for uh, some of these older souls do that rifty mate you've got a good 40 years left in your career now mate oh mate just uh, we we uh we just had our former coach who's knocking on the door of 70 um, come down and trade Trained with oh, us yeah. last week, and he he played in the Bali Masters last year for the first time. He's I think oh. he's six sixty seven, and yeah, he uh, he played his first Bali Masters in the over fifty fives, and absolutely loved it. Already had his his flights booked basically to go again this year, and he's he's absolutely shattered. That so that's why he's come down to have a have a bit of a run with us because he mate he was looking forward to getting over for the Bali Masters again. Uh, so, uh, what team do you guys support? Crows. So I, those two both support the Crows, actually. Um, sadly for them, they're not doing too well right now. My team's doing a little bit better. I support the Magpies, Mighty Magpies. There's not one good bloke in this show today, I tell you what. Adelaide, Hollywood, <laughs> and Carlton. <Jeez. laughs> um, what, what about your favourite player? Who? Each of you, who's your favourite player of all time? So mine would be uh, Dane Swan. Well, I was lucky enough to play both with and against. So in the Asian Champs 2000, uh, last year, we got to play with uh, Swanee, which was, which was great. Uh, but he also played against in the opposition team. So I got the chance to try to tackle him. But I tell you what, he's still pretty quicker in his hips. He can still turn. Didn't get a chance to tackle him when I, when I came near him. Yeah, yeah, look, I think it's too hard a question for me. There's too many great footballers that you just love watching. Um, I think back to the, the year, I remember growing up and, you know, waiting for Friday night footy and watching the Duck play, you know, watching Kerry and Pagan's Paddock was just, that was awesome. That was a great Friday night. So probably Kerry from the back in the day. Yeah. Brilliant. I'm a Glenelg boy, so growing up it would have been a player called Graham Corns. He played in the, one of their premierships in the 70s and also went on to coach the Crows. And I think probably for the Crows, I reckon Andy McLeod was probably my favourite player to watch. He was genius yeah. on the field. I think if you're even just a, a supporter of football, you've got to have Andy McLeod up there and you're probably your top 10, I reckon, for sure. He's, he was absolute magic to watch play footy, that's for sure. Um, all right, so now it's time for some uh, funny questions. We like to throw throw some of your teammates or you know supporters of the club under the bus. So, uh, what do you got first, Eto? All right, <clears throat> excuse me. So we'll start with Kalen and Ben and then Matt for this one. Uh, so, who at the Bing Tangs would you say is the class clown? I'd probably have to go with a guy named Nick Sabatucci. 
He uh, usually makes jokes, usually at his own expense and can make everyone laugh a fair bit. How about you, Ben? Um, I would have, um, yeah, Sabah's pretty good. I would have combined uh, one called Ewok. Uh, his first name's Nick. Carl, what is it, Kardashian? We can just say Nick Kardashian. But he's, yeah, he's, <laughs> he's probably the, one of the, the funniest guys in the club at the moment. Definitely. We've had, we've had a, a stack of guys go through the club who have been hysterical. Um, and, uh, but um, yeah, look, we'll, we'll stick with those two for the time being. I think these two guys are great. Uh, we had another guy by the name of, of the Wiz who would um, juggle the ball as he was running down the wing behind his back and over his head and I don't know what he was doing. But uh, he, was a, he, was, he was a great guy to have around the club. And these are the sorts of guys that, um, yeah, make it worthwhile. Yeah, nice. All right, we'll start with you for this one, Matt. Uh, the party animal of the club. Which is, uh, Benny might be able to actually take that mantle uh, based upon uh, our tour of Batam last year. Um, but uh, there, there are a few. I mean, um, again, this is probably something that wasn't alluded to earlier. And, and uh, Caelan mentioned that we uh, have Asian championships and that sort of thing. But we're really lucky is that um, our... You know, you guys uh, go to your next suburb to, uh, you know, to play against your opposition and that sort of thing. We, we go travel internationally to uh, go to another country and play football. So um, when we go away, it's like a end of year football, season, a football trip every, uh, every time we tour and we try and tour every, once, every, um, once every month. So um, there's plenty of opportunity for those guys to, uh, to play up and be the party animal. And I think... All of us have got that uh, bit of party animals after a game, uh, a hot game in the Asian sun. So you happy to take that uh, that mantle, Ben, or you got someone else you want to climb with? Um, it's a it's a badge of honour to to hear that. <laughs> but I think any of the two gentlemen I'm looking at here um, would be would 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 go into that grouping as well. Um, and as Maddie said, uh, you certainly go up a notch when you when you do play an away game here because it is quite often an international trip. Uh, so you're really quite, quite spoiled and you pinch yourself um, when you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're flying to Cambodia to play in Phnom Penh. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, and then, uh, yeah, it can be a fun time. Fair enough. Is it anyone you wanted to add, Kalen, to that? Oh, there used to be a guy called Phil Povey and I think he was one of the biggest partiers I think uh, Ben and MJ would agree, but since he's left, I think, yeah, Benny might have taken the title. Oh, that might get him there too, I think. He's got another guy by the name of Haircut who, who yeah, sort of put, put himself up there. So, uh, yeah, those two definitely um, rate high. All right, Rifty, just move to the nickname question, mate, because is that me? Yeah. I want to know. I want to know the best. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned a fair few nicknames already, but what's, what's the best nickname going around at the club? Mm. Mm. I think, uh, yeah, Benny. Ewok for me. Yeah, Ewok. Ewok's pretty good. Is is that a is that a looks thing or? Yeah. <laughs> Very much Definitely. so. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. That's, that yeah. makes it even better. Yeah. One of my favourites is, is Butcher, a guy who's been around for a while, David Edwards. He uh, mm. 
I'm not actually sure I, how he got the nickname from memory, but I assume it's because he can basically cleave you in two like a piece of meat because he, he's, a, he's a full forward, actually, and he comes at you with that much pace. If he hit you, he'd clean, cleave you in two like a butcher. Well, I can actually clear that one up, Caelan, for you. Um, butcher started um, in the same year as me in 2006. We played in the Asian Champs together in 2007 in Bangkok in like 36 degree heat and um, Stafford, Greg Stafford I think it was that used to play for the Sydney Swans was playing that day for China or one of the other teams he was playing centre forward and and Butcher was playing centre back um, and he carved him up like seriously carved him up and that's how he got his nickname Butcher from there on That's awesome that's good to have a good story They're both good stories I like Kalen's better though Yeah (laughs) Well, it's, it's, yeah, he carved him up. It's just glad he's not, he didn't get the name Butcher because he butchers every kick he has. <laughs> <laughs> How long did you sit there, Rifty, working that one out in your head? Mate, straight away, as soon as oh, I heard Butcher, I thought that's where he was going. Sure, sure, mate. One of the best nicknames I've heard in, in recent years was a, a guy at my other club I play at, his nickname's Apples. And I, I had no idea why his nickname was Apples, but then I saw him kick it straight down the opposition's throat every time and someone yelled out, bloody apples turnover. <laughs> so that's how we got apples. Um, all right. You mentioned the trips away and that you have to do that. You do them a fair bit. Who's the bloke you wouldn't want to room with on one of those trips away? Yeah. Um, there's a guy by the name of Jezza. Um, yeah, definitely not. Um, He's an absolute club cub pest um, and uh, can play footy, don't get me wrong, but I think the other two would too agree with me. Um, him and perhaps Haircut would probably be the two you probably would want to um, room with the most. Yep. It looks pretty unanimous. It's yeah, yeah, absolutely. Jezza and Haircut. Jezza and Haircut. Oh, so how did, where did Haircut's nickname come from? Is it just he had a bad haircut one day or...? Not one day, every day of his life. <laughs> yeah, he, he still rock. I think he uses a whole tub of hair gel every time he goes out. His hair gel budget must be quite high because it looks like back in the 90s when everyone used to spike their hair up, he, just, he still does that to this day. He is only 30. He's quite a spiv, isn't he? I'm going to stay out of any talk about any hair. So, um, um, there's one thing we've got to mention here before we uh, move on is we have a, a Matthew Jolly at our club, Matt Jolly, and he's he's been known to give himself a nickname here and there, and he's he's given himself about oh, at least five 50. or six in in recent years, and the one that stuck uh, this last year has been the Bear Trap. That's what he nicknamed himself. Okay. Um, <laughs> So if you boys want to just get that nickname going with this Matt Jolly here and, and call, start calling him the Bear Trap, get it going internationally. Be, uh, there's, what is it? The Bear Trap. There's the Bear Trap, Grippo. Um, is that me? I can't even think of it. Him. Oh, yeah, he, is he a full forward too? He thinks he's got a good set nah, of hands? Nah, he's it? even worse. He's a Ruckman. <laughs> All right. Oh, the, rule, the rule with nicknames is you're not supposed to give them to yourself. They're not supposed yeah. to stick that way, so. Oh, that's why we said Grippo hasn't stuck because he <laughs> gave it to himself. But the only reason the Bear Trap nickname stuck, he, he happened to give that that nickname to himself a couple of weeks before a, um, 
a preseason camp away, and we were doing it. They were doing an obstacle course, and he's you know he still was trying to get this nickname going, and and it hadn't really catched on. And he was doing an obstacle course, and he's he climbs over this barrier, and he, he as he's jumping off, he yells out "bear trap," and it's all caught on film. And as he's landed on the ground, he's landed on a branch and rolled his ankle, and so he's, <laughs> he goes "bear trap." Ah! And it's all caught on film. So after that, the nickname stuck because it started off, we'll just go bear trap. Ah! And we've right. replayed that yeah. video over and over. And yeah, so. And as you can see, just even the thought of it just makes me crack up laughing. It's <laughs> being there was fucking hilarious. But um, <laughs> all right, we know we're on time restraints. So uh, last question, which, uh, who takes the game far too seriously? My vote for that would have to be... Uh... Reese, I'd say, our vice captain, actually. Uh, he's oh, stuck yeah. back in Australia at the moment. But I think uh, whenever he's on the field, he's a, he's a great bloke off the field, you know, socially, he loves to have a laugh. But when he gets on the field, he gets a bit of white line fever and particularly towards the, the umpire. So I've never seen someone go off the umpire so much. So he definitely takes it very seriously on the field. Yeah, I think I'd agree with that one too. Uh, and if the ball's not delivered to him properly, uh, he... Uh, has a few words about uh, the delivery as well. Sounds yeah. a bit dog-like. Look, looks like Ricky can understand that one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here's what it is, right? Exactly right. <laughs> so, yeah, it sounds pretty unanimous. And now, if he, to whereabouts in Australia, is he stuck back in uh, Victoria at all? Or? Nah, he's back uh, near Perth. Oh, okay. I was going to say. Western Australia. We'd have him down for a kick if he was looking for a place, but... Um, thanks heaps for joining us guys we do appreciate you taking the time uh, we hope everything goes well with uh, you know the lockdown and all that sort of shit and you're, you're able to get get back to some normality and get your your team back up and running properly and get some uh, good games at the tail end of this season and, and you know hopefully one day we might be able to get over and, and play a game with you boys at some stage yeah, we, we we play in the uh, the Bali Masters every year. Um, we've actually won it a couple of times as well. So uh, if you guys uh, you know get to Masters ages and you want to come over and play over there, we'd be uh, happy to have a beer with you, a bintang with you, and uh, and have a game against you. Nah, beautiful. I'm I'm already at the Masters age. I'm 36, so I was trying to get talked into going there last season. And uh, like I said, after after my mate got back, he he was raving about it. So I, it's definitely on my to-do list, that's for sure. So um, best of luck with everything. I uh, hope it all goes well. And, um, yeah, thanks for joining us again and, and take care. If I could awesome. just finish up, Rick. Thanks, guys. But, um, yeah, I, I think any, any, any way, if anyone's coming through, it's unlikely too many come through Jakarta, but uh, certainly Bali is a, a bit of a focal point. It'd be great to, uh, you know, anyone coming up, you know, bintangs.com. What's our Jakarta dot bintangs is our Instagram hook. Um, Jakarta bintangs for Instagram. Yep. Yep. We also have, uh, we also have, there's a, also a group. We're not really affiliated, but there's a, there's a team of Indonesians actually playing in Melbourne. I'm not sure where, but they're called the Krakatoas. It's a bit of a social group, but it's a, a group of Indonesians going out for a kick as well. So it's all about building the community and, and, uh, you know, building those numbers and, and, and just making more friends along the way. So uh, anyone, 
anyone who's coming up to Indonesia, please uh, stop by. Uh, we'd be uh, we'd be most welcoming. Yeah, definitely. We'll uh, we'll make sure we share all your socials, and we might have to hit those guys up on the what was it, the Krakatoas? You said Krakatoas. the guys, Krakatoas. Yeah, we might have to hit them up and get them to come down for a, a bit of a kick sometime. Fantastic, definitely. Uh, and yeah, if you guys are ever back in in Australia and find yourselves in Melbourne, you're always welcome to come down to Sandown for a kick. That's for sure. So thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us, and take care. Cheers. Thanks, Thanks, guys. Thanks for watching the Cobra Cast with the present VP. And if you need somebody to talk to, why not contact New Life Psychology in Berwick? They are now taking phone appointments. Or you could head to otlr.com.au for tips and info. And we are supporters of TAC's Towards Zero campaign. Head to towardszero.vic.gov.au for more info because zero is the only acceptable number. Hey Siri, play the Cobra cast with the present VP.